0: So what does it mean to believe in the Trinity? Is the concept biblical? What exactly does this doctrine mean? Well, today we're going to talk about it. So hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Grace Nerd Podcast. My name is Eric. If you're new to the channel, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure that you go ahead and subscribe if you like content like this and leave a like if you enjoy the video or if you're listening through audio, make sure that you follow on whatever platform you discovered the podcast on. So on this channel, I like to talk about different theological topics and also just talk about the Christian life or do commentary on different cultural issues from a Christian perspective. But in this episode, we're basically just going to focus on a very foundational concept in Christian theology. We're going to talk about, as we mentioned the doctrine of the Trinity. So the content in this episode actually comes from a session from a theology class I developed from my church. So we're going to basically do a very straightforward walkthrough of that content. There will be a little bit of text and visuals on the screen, but I'll keep it pretty minimal so that people who are listening through audio can follow along pretty well and I'll try to explain the visuals as best that I can. So let's go ahead and get started. So what we're going to do is start with the foundational doctrines that make up the idea of the Trinity. So spoiler alert, that does mean that I am a traditional Christian and I absolutely believe that the doctrine of the Trinity is biblical. And so this ultimately is going to be a defense and an explanation of that doctrine from a biblical perspective. So it may surprise some of you who are biblical Christians that the word Trinity does not appear in scripture. That's actually surprising to some people. And oftentimes, people who are critics of this doctrine will point this out, and some Christians are actually kind of surprised by it. But don't worry, this shouldn't shock you. All that this term is, is basically a summary term that basically is a catch-all for all of the doctrines that make up this idea. It's a summary of the teachings of Scripture, and we're going to break down what those teachings are. So to start, I'm going to talk about three basic foundations of the doctrine of the Trinity. Number one is the doctrine of monotheism there is one God. Number two, the second foundation is that within this one being of God, there are three persons. And then the final foundation is that these persons are co-equal and they are co-eternal. And we're going to break down what each of these terms means biblically. So to start, let's actually look at the London Baptist Confession. It's a very popular confession that has been used among particularly Reformed Baptists. And here is how they define the doctrine of the Trinity. And this is very similar to other confessions and other creeds within the Christian faith. So in this confession, it says, In this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences, the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit of one substance, power, and and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son. All infinite, without beginning, therefore but one God, who is not to be divided in nature and being, but distinguished by several peculiar relative properties and personal relations, Which doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence on Him? So again, that's the London Baptist Confession from chapter 2, section 3. So we're not going to break down every single word there, but you'll notice there's a lot of much older language, but there's also some technical language that really developed over the centuries in order to summarize this doctrine in such a succinct way. Again, we're not going to define every single word in there, but I think you're going to begin to get an idea as we go here as to what each of these terms is referring to. So as you've listened to my three foundational doctrines and as you listen to that confession you probably notice that there's a distinction that is being made and that distinction is that the idea of being and the idea of person are not exactly the same thing. When we talk about God at some points we talk about his being and at other points we talk about the persons within that being. So what's the difference between these two? At first glance, we might not think that there's a difference, but actually, if you look at the way that you speak throughout normal life, you'll actually notice that these terms actually do have very different uses. So for instance, a tree has being. However, a tree or a rock or anything else does not have personhood. It is not a person. However, a human being is a being. And that human being, like me or you, we share that being with one person. I am one person. However, within the doctrine of the Trinity, we see that God has one being. Again, monotheism, the first foundation, God has one being, but that being is shared between three persons. God's being is infinite, and therefore that's possible for him where it is not possible for other beings. A way that I've often heard this idea summarized is that the being of God is what you might say is the what of God, whereas the personhood of God is the who of God. Therefore, God is one, what, and three, whose. So, let's talk about where we see this in scripture, and we're going to talk about this first foundation we talked about, monotheism. So, monotheism, or the oneness of God, really is the most uncontroversial doctrine in Christianity. So, let's look at a really foundational passage in the Old Testament where God makes this abundantly clear. For instance, in Deuteronomy, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. That's Deuteronomy 6, 4-6. through Or in one of the prophets in Isaiah, it says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. That's Isaiah forty three ten, Or again in Isaiah, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God who is like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. That's Isaiah 44, six through eight. And so, again, this is a very uncontroversial doctrine among Christians. This isn't something you saw debated widely throughout the church when it was first formed. However, there are ways that different cults formed and different ways that people departed from this doctrine. And so, we're going to list just a few of them. So, first off, there is what you would call polytheism, and this is the idea that there are multiple gods. So, one sect that formed not terribly long ago in church history is Mormonism, or the Church of Latter-day Saints. And they basically teach what is known as the eternal law of progression or the law of eternal progression. And they basically believe that all of us are ultimately on a potential path toward godhood. God was once a human being, and he was eventually glorified. And they don't see the Trinity the way that we would. They would see these as multiple beings and multiple persons, not just one being in three persons. Or even further out from this, there are other religions. For instance, there is Hinduism in the East, where there, from what I understand, are millions of gods, and no one really knows all of them. So there's just two examples of that. And then outside of polytheism, there is what is called pantheism. This is the idea that basically the universe is God in some sense. Again, you see this in Eastern thinking very often. And then there's, of course, ideas that many of us have heard a whole lot about, like atheism, the idea that there is no God. They don't add to the list of gods, but they simply take away the one true God and reject the idea of God existing at all. Or perhaps it's also worth mentioning the idea of agnosticism, where people will simply say we can't know that there's a God or we don't know that there's a God. Some are more dogmatic about the possibilities of what we can know than others. So now that we've talked about possible errors concerning monotheism, let's move on to the second foundation we're going to talk about, and that is the three persons within the one being of God. So first of all, we can talk about the fact that the Father is God. The fatherhood of the first person of the Trinity is not as big an emphasis in the Old Testament, but we definitely see the idea of the Father being talked about a lot by Jesus, referring to him as his Father, him being the Son of God speaking to the Israelites and saying that God was their Father. Much like monotheism, the idea of the Father being God is not very controversial. Where we begin to see many of the debates in church history is when we talk about Jesus Christ being a person of the Godhead. However, we do see this teaching very clearly in the New Testament. So, let's begin with a quote from the Gospel of John. Right at the beginning, John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then later in verse 14, John writes And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then later in the book, He says, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him, because not only was He breaking the Sabbath, but He was even calling God His own Father making himself equal with God. That's John five eighteen. Or just another example, like in the book of Titus, it says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And something I'll point out, the more and more that we've come to understand the Greek language, from what I understand, it's even more clear in the Greek than it is in the English that the words God and Savior both are applied here to Jesus Christ in this passage in Titus. Let's go to another example. In the book of Philippians, Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant So there's a few pretty explicit examples of Jesus being referred to as God. But there's another way in which you can defend this idea. And the way it can be shown is that the biblical authors very often take language that is used of Yahweh in the Old Testament, and they apply that language to Jesus. So let's look for a moment at the book of Hebrews. In the first chapter, starting in verse 10, the author writes, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. So something that you can point out in this passage is that it is actually a quote from the Psalms, Psalms 102. In that psalm, it's pretty clear that they are talking about Yahweh. And even people like the Jehovah's Witnesses, who will deny this doctrine of the equality of Jesus and the Father, they will acknowledge that Psalm 102 is a reference to Yahweh. But then if you bring them over to the book of Hebrews, they may be surprised that the author of Hebrews quotes this psalm, but applies this exact language to Jesus. In fact, some of the cross-references in their version of the Bible that they retranslated still contain this reference. And that's because they actually stole their cross-references from Christian versions of the Bible. Or another example of these parallels that the New Testament authors use. The Apostle Paul actually takes what is called the Shema in the Old Testament scriptures and he applies that to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 8, it says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord. Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. And then Jesus himself takes references in the Old Testament and applies them to himself. So when he predicted Judas's betrayal, he actually uses language from Isaiah 43. In John 13, he says, I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. This is a parallel to Isaiah 43.10 in the Greek Old Testament. So there are some arguments for the deity of Christ, that he is the second person of the Trinity. So now we'll move on to a few arguments for the idea that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, that the Holy Spirit is included in the being of God. So throughout the Old Testament, we see language used of the Spirit of God. And there is this sort of distinct language used where we see the Spirit sort of talked about in this separate person kind of language. So, right from the beginning in Genesis, we see something a little bit like this. In Genesis 1.1, it says, "...in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters." Let's take an example from the New Testament. The Apostle Paul talks about the deity of the Spirit when he says, "...now the Lord is the Spirit." And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's 2 Corinthians three seventeen and 18. And then in the book of Acts, we see Peter talking about the Spirit of the Lord. He talks about Ananias and Sapphira testing the spirit of the Lord. He speaks of the Holy Spirit and testing the spirit of God as if the Holy Spirit has personality, personhood. In Acts 5, he says, But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? That's verse 9. There are many other examples within these categories we mentioned where we can argue for the personhood of the spirit, but there's the summary for now for the arguments for the different persons of the Trinity. So let's move on to some common errors when it comes to the three persons. So historically, there is an idea that is called modalism or sabellianism. This error ultimately is a denial that the three persons of the Trinity are distinct. Basically, it teaches that there is one being of God, monotheism, but it also says that in this one being, there is one person. And basically, this one being, this one person is manifesting himself in three different ways throughout the history of the world. So we have the Father, and then the being of God manifests as the Son, and now God is manifesting himself as the Holy Spirit. And so you'll often hear this language being used of the three manifestations of God. So one quote-unquote denomination, I would say sect, that promotes this is the United Pentecostal Church. Actually, right now, I think it's called the UPCI. And we definitely shouldn't confuse it with the Pentecostal Church in general. Classical Pentecostals absolutely believe in the Trinity. So that's one error that we can fall into if we deny the three persons of the Trinity in some sense. Another way that this idea of the three persons of the Trinity gets distorted is in the idea of subordinationism. And basically, this is when we deny the equality of the persons. So we mentioned the Jehovah's Witnesses before, and the way that they do this is that they say that Jesus is the first creation of God. He is not one with God. An earlier form of this in church history is called Arianism, and basically Arius taught that there was a time when the Son was not. Ultimately, Jesus Christ is subordinate to the Father and is not equal with the Father and is not co-eternal with the Father. That is the foundational doctrine that's denied. Or again, we can talk about polytheism. That's another way that you can deny the three persons of the Godhead. They are not all considered one God. They are multiple gods. And in this case, you are denying the unity of the persons. You might say they're equal, but you're also saying that they're separate. And again, members of the Church of Latter-day Saints or Mormons, they tend to hold to a version of this. However, unlike, you know, Hinduism, this is much Closer to Christianity, and that they still use language referring to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, only with different meanings behind those words. So, here's a little chart that I'm going to show you in order to illustrate this. If you're listening through audio, I'm sorry you can't see it, but I'll do my best to basically explain what you're seeing here. What you're seeing here basically is a triangle, and on each of the sides of the triangle, you have the foundational elements of the doctrine of the Trinity. So, on the bottom side of the triangle, you have monotheism, and then on the left side, you have equality, the equality of the persons. And then on the right side of the triangle, you have the fact that there are three persons. And then on the corners of the triangle, on the opposite sides of each of these foundations, you have the errors that result when you deny one of these foundational doctrines. So for example, you may deny the equality of the persons on the right side. And so then on the opposite corner, the result of this will generally be subordinationism. So you'll still maintain a monotheism, and you'll still maintain that there's three persons, but you'll basically end up being forced to subject one person to the other and downgrade the other persons of the Trinity in one way or the other. Or, for example, you may deny the doctrine of the three persons of the Godhead, and as a result, you might end up with modalism. You basically crunch all of the persons together and say that the being of God and the personhood of God are the exact same thing, and therefore God is just manifesting himself in different ways. Or you might deny monotheism. And as a result, you will end up with polytheism. I suppose that one's the most obvious. So there you go. Hopefully that little illustration is helpful to you. Again, if you're listening through audio maybe consider going over and watching the videos on YouTube. That way you'll be able to see what I'm talking about here. Hopefully I explained it clearly enough. So I want to give credit where credit is due. I got this chart from a book called The Forgotten Trinity by Dr. James White. That's just a really, really good overarching set of arguments for the doctrine of the Trinity. And he goes way more in depth than I do here. And a lot of my examples and explanations really were helped by that material. So to finish up, let's summarize what we learned here. What is a good summary of the doctrines contained within the idea of the Trinity? First of all, there is, again, one being of God. We as Christians are monotheists. But again, because God's being is infinite, he is able to share that being with three divine persons. One divine essence with three persons. And we should not confuse the persons. The Father is not the Son or the Spirit. The Son is not the Spirit of the Father. And the Spirit is not the Father or the Son. What's difficult about this is that God, the Trinity is completely unique in the universe there is no perfect illustration to this a humorous example that illustrates this is a video that was made by a channel called lutheran satire that i often show when i'm teaching this class in person and you basically see saint patrick talking to connell and donald these cartoon characters and trying to explain what the doctrine of the trinity is and he keeps trying to give examples so he'll say something like well god is kind of like water where it can be water or ice, or a gas, but then they'll say, wow, that's modalism, Patrick. And you know, it's, it's actually pretty funny. It's actually a pretty funny video that's also educational at the same time. So maybe I'll link to that in the description if you're interested in watching it. So there you have it. There's my breakdown and hopefully you found it helpful. Uh, again, you can go way more in depth in terms of arguments, for instance, for the deity of Christ or the personhood of the Holy Spirit. And all of these foundational doctrines that I talked about, some of them I went way more in depth than others. And, you know, maybe at some point I'll do a bit of an overhaul and go, for instance, more in depth on the personhood of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot more arguments for that, that I wasn't even able to get into here because I don't even have them well memorized myself. But again, people like James White have written books on this, like the one that I mentioned, the Forgotten Trinity, and he goes way more in depth with each of these things. But that will about do it for now thank you so much for watching if you enjoyed yourself and you learned something make sure that you leave a like and go ahead and subscribe if you're new to the channel and hit the notification bell and you'll know when new uploads happen or if you're listening through audio on your favorite podcast platform make sure that you go ahead and follow there so that you know when new episodes come out my name is eric this is grace nerd or the grace nerd podcast and we will see you around in the next one thanks for stopping by